Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Greg Talks. I am your host, Greg, and today we have another special guest with us today. He is the founder of Teach the Geek to Speak, a company that focuses around improving the public speaking of STEM professionals. He is the author of a children's book, and he is also a medical devices engineer. Everyone, please welcome Mr. Neil Thompson. Thank you for having me, Greg. I really, um, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no problem. We're glad you were able to, to be on here with us. So I'm just going to ask you a couple questions in regards to your career um, and a couple questions in regards to your uh, company and maybe some things that inspired you. So to start off, uh, I would like to ask you if you could describe your journey from uh, being a college student to now and some of the steps uh, along the way that you took to get there. I started, well, when I was in high school, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And my father suggested that I, that I study engineering. Actually, it was more of a suggestion. It was more of a demand. He said, study engineering. And I mm -hmm. said, okay. And so I ended up studying engineering in, in, in undergrad. And then he said, go for a master's. And I did that too. And then he said, go for a PhD. And I started down that path, but I quit the PhD after a year. It's okay. one thing to be told what to do when you're 18. I think it's another thing to be told what to do at 24. So by that time, it was about time that I started making decisions for myself. Right. I had no interest in doing a PhD. And so I only lasted a year. So I, I dropped out and I got a job as a research associate at a medical device company. And that was back in 2006. And then in 2007, I actually came out to California to take a job at another medical device company as a product development engineer. I've essentially been in California ever since. This will be my 13th year anniversary in December. Okay. So are you um, from California? No, no. So I, I'm originally from Canada. I'm from a city oh. called, yeah, I'm from a city called Brampton. It's a suburb of Toronto. And I've been in the U.S. since 2002, so 18 years now. Okay. Uh just like a side note, um, is like the Canada schooling system like different from the American school system as far as like high school and, and college, or is it pretty much th the same? Pretty much the same. You know, high school is ninth to tenth, uh, ninth to twelfth grade, and then college is typically four years. Hopefully, you can finish in four years. Okay. So you mentioned that. Uh, there were some steps you took to become a bioengineer at a company in California. So what were some of the crucial steps for you getting your foot in the door as far as uh, working at your first bioengineering job? Really, I'm sure it had to do with the degree. So I got a master's degree in biomedical engineering. And a lot of the people who are working as engineers at medical device companies, a number of them have degrees in biomedical engineering. So I'm certain that that helped. And then also, I guess the, the, the experience that I had for the little bit of time I worked at the, as a research associate at that first company, I'm sure that that helped as well. In fact, from what I remember, during the interview for that second job, at, in Calif for that job in California, the interviewer, one of the interviewers who, who turned out to be my boss at that company had asked me a question about, about something that they were actually working on. 
And I guess the answer I provided was something that they actually implemented in the, in the, at the company. So I figured that he thought that, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Let me bring him in as an employee. And that's basically how I got the job. So would you say it was more about the connections you made along the way um, instead of being about like your credentials from school or like the other way around or, or are they like both essential? Well, I mean, the credentials from school definitely helped. I mean, the job that I got in California, I didn't know anybody at the company. I just applied online and they, they contacted me. And so there, I don't think there wasn't really any kind of you know connection beforehand, but the, the, having the credentials helped. And then I guess being able to answer the questions intelligently during the interview was kind of a sealed deal for me. Yeah, I think uh, it's very uh, telling, especially because I know you have like, uh, you know, th that company that I mentioned earlier that you founded that teaches like STEM professionals how to be good at public speaking. Uh, I think in terms of interviewing skills, and I can't say much about like the professional world since I've only done interviews on a much smaller scale for like part-time jobs, but I know it is extremely important um, how you say your answers to the questions that your interviewers ask of you. So I know that's like a very important thing. Uh, another uh, question I had was in regards to your book, our your first book, which was um, Ask Uncle Neil Why My Hair is So Curly. And I was wondering what inspired you to write that book? Well, yes, it, it's my first book and I plan on it being a series of books. The book came about because of a lot, there's a lot of books out there about black people's hair, but they come from the perspective of learning to love it. And I was never going to write that type of book because I already like, I already like my hair. That wasn't a right. journey that I had to go down. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the book from the perspective of a boy, which turned out, which was my nephew, my nephew, mm -hmm. Anthony, asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I used science to answer the question. So is, is one, there's one thing to you know, learn to, to love your hair, but it's, an old, it's another question altogether to find out why your hair is the way it is. And I wrote and essentially the motivation or the goal for writing the book was to encourage more black kids to at least consider careers in STEM because we're, we're very much underrepresented in the field. Yep. I wrote the book for children, young children ages six to eight. And I wrote it for such young children because I want to give them the confidence to know that there aren't any careers that are off limits to them strictly because they're black. They, we can do anything that anyone else can do. Yeah, I think it's very important that those books are out there to inspire children to pursue like STEM fields, because like you said, there aren't that many black engineers as there should be, or doctors or really any other STEM field for that matter. So I think any kind of art that uh, basically tells black kids that no, you, you can become like a, a neurosurgeon, you can become a biomedical engineer, it is possible with enough perseverance and hard work, but you have the power to do it. And I think that's very, uh, very important to have those types of media out there. Uh, moving on to my next question, when you were a bioengineer, what was your favorite part of the job? Working in the lab, for sure. 
my least favorite was being at the computer typing up reports, but actually being in the lab doing the experiments and, and, and seeing the results of that, that was certainly my, my favorite part. In addition to going to conferences. So the, the, I guess the output that came from those lab experiments, we would write up, we would write up reports on them and then submit them to conferences to actually present at. And so being able to travel to these various conferences, learning about what else is going on in the field, and just soaking up that knowledge. That was very, that was a, that was a great part of my job as well. Okay. Uh, what was something that you would say like during those conferences that was uh, the most essential uh, takeaway? Well, it actually, it, it comes back to, to teach the geek. So I used to go, when I go to these conferences, I would go and sit in on conference talks. And those are some of the most boring presentations I've ever <laughs> witnessed in my life. Especially, well, with, with these presentations, a lot of the times the people presenting are academics. So mm -hmm. we're, we're talking PhD students, postdocs, and professors. And at least within academia, public speaking isn't something really that's, that is in, not, not necessarily encouraged, but it's not seen as that big a deal. It's more about doing the actual research and putting out papers, putting out publications. Right. So when these people present at these conferences, oftentimes what they do is they just get up there and read their slides and then they, they answer some questions and then, and then leave and the next person would go. They wouldn't take much account in, at least I, from what I gathered, they didn't take much I guess, interest in connecting with the audience and even keeping within time. Oftentimes they go over time, which obviously would, 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 mm -hmm. it would cause problems with keeping to the schedule of the conference. So these are some of the things that I noticed, at least at the conferences I went to, that I found a problem with. Not only that, but even when I worked in, in, at the company, I had to give presentations in front of management and I was terrible at it. And it's because I didn't take a lot of these things into account either. I didn't take account connecting with an audience, staying within time. I'll just slap some slides together and then read them and then pretty much get off the stage as quickly as I possibly could. Right. And I noticed a lot of the engineers, they did mm -hmm. essentially the same thing. None of us were, were Tony Robbins up there. So I, <laughs> right. I noticed that, so I know that both within myself and then within the, the presenters that I saw at these conferences. So I, I definitely saw that there was a need for people like myself, people that work in the STEM fields to become more effective at communicating with others especially people from outside our fields and especially the, the decision makers. So would you say in regards to public speaking, like what's the, the number one thing people slip up on? Cause I know for me, um, when I was uh, taught how to public speak effectively, which was back in high school for the first time, I think for me, my largest issue, like you mentioned earlier was, uh, either going over time or just taking, not, not pacing myself well with the content that I needed to read or uh, speak about. So what would you say is the biggest uh, like problem when it comes to public speaking? I say the biggest one is not taking the, the needs and wants of your audience into, into consideration when putting your presentations together because you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not able to connect with the people that you're speaking with, they're not going to listen to your presentation. And essentially you wasted your time and you've wasted their time as well. 
So when it comes to putting presentations together, you really have to keep in mind what the people in the audience want and need from the presentation and also their level of expertise. You don't want to use a whole bunch of technical jargon if you're speaking to people who may not understand what all that technical jargon is. You may want to use more analogies and, and, and I guess di different examples to convey your message to these type of people. So just keeping that in mind when you're putting your presentations together is very important. Okay. So I know that Miss uh, Sadler, uh, when she told me some things about you, she did mention that uh, you were heavily into like comic books and things that revolve around geek culture. So I was wondering what was uh, something that you've taken away from geek culture, either in the past or recently, that has stuck with you now? I think that there used to be a pretty negative connotation about geeks, but all really a geek is is someone that's very passionate about a particular subject. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to revolve around anything technological or STEM related. And so really just embracing the fact that I, I, I am an engineer, it's not something to be, I guess, embarrassed about maybe. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's certainly something I took away from geek culture. And, you know, the fact that I called the company Teach the Geek is really a call to action to, to people like myself that it's okay for us to be the way we are. And in the same, at the same token, there's, there's more for us to learn. A lot of us in, you know, that, that come from, from the engineering or STEM backgrounds, it can be kind of arrogant at times. If you mm -hmm. go through an engineering program, typically is one of the more challenging undergraduate degrees you can get. So when you finally do get it, you can kind of put yourself up on this pedestal and think that there's not, nothing else to achieve after that. But that's just the beginning, getting a degree in any discipline, really. Once you get out into the workforce, there's still a whole lot more to learn. Technical knowledge can only get you so far. If you don't have the soft skills to be able to, to communicate with others, there's only so far you can go within a company or within your career. And that's something that I had to come to, to realize at some point. Okay. And why would you say that there is a such negative connotation with being a geek? I mean, obviously, I know it's not as bad as it used to be uh, when I was a kid or even before that. But I've always wondered myself, like, why people associate it with, like, something bad something to be ashamed of though is it do you, do you think personally it's because like they're just not as passionate about uh the same things as people who are into those things are or it or is it like something else well i think they just for, for for such a long time think being a geek just wasn't seen as, as being cool it was more about sports and you know other i guess more I guess, you know, other, other endeavors, but, uh, but that certainly has changed, especially since more geeks are getting into sports. So, <laughs> the, the, so there could there certainly be a, a blurred line there. I mean, when I was in school, you, you had the jocks and you had the, you know, the nerds and you had the, the emo kids and you had the drama kids, you know, the various cliques, but now all those, all those blur, all, I, I believe all those, I guess those boundaries are being blurred. You can have people on, on the uh, a sports team, but they also pr participate in robotics club. So there's no real reason yep. to kind of have to choose which group to be a part of. You can be a part of all the ones that you want to be a part of. And I believe that's really because at least 
and these days people are more, I guess, accepting of, of the different, I guess, facets of everyone's personality. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think now more than ever, uh, especially with the advent of, well, things like anime within like the last two decades, uh, I do think being a geek has become more of a, a cool thing for sure. Uh, another question I had was, have you ever encountered an equity and inclusion issue at work or even currently, and how did you handle it? Not that I can think of, but I'm kind of a, perhaps I'm a black sheep in that sense, no pun intended, mm -hmm. when it comes to that, that, that those type of, of issues. Even if such a thing had happened to me, I probably was too involved with whatever I was doing that I, I wouldn't have noticed. I've always treated the jobs that I've had strictly as that, as, as a place to, to earn money, to be able to fund the things that I actually enjoy. Not to say that I didn't like any of the jobs that, that I had, it's just that I never saw them as a, I never saw going to a company as some sort of extended family. I always looked at my coworkers as, as simply that, just people that were resources to help me in, 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 in doing the job that, that I was hired to do. I know that might sound a little, sound a little cold, but maybe I could have been a little bit more tactful in, in using mm. you know, better words. But I, 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 at least as far as I can remember, I've never really come across any sort of, of, of issue due to, due to race or, or anything like that in my, any of the positions I had. Mm. Okay. What would, actually, no. Um, what inspired you to take your company into the podcasting realm? Because I did notice that you have quite a lot of episodes with like other people that you personally interview. And I wondered like why you chose to add that on uh, to your company, Teach the Geek, instead of just leaving it um, a website service well, I mean, the, doing the interviews is helpful to just get the, the name out. And so the people that I interview, they, they, you know, they have their own networks. And so them promoting the, their interviews to their networks helps in, in promoting myself, essentially. And then also, it's, it's fun to learn more about other people in the STEM fields and how public speaking has benefited their careers. And it also, it's interesting to learn about the various careers people have pursued with a STEM degree. I mean, I've interviewed people who ended up, with, you know, who have STEM degrees ended up as professional speakers. You know, people who are now empowerment coaches. That was, that was a pretty interesting one. I didn't even know what an empowerment coach was, but I interviewed an empowerment coach. She used to be an engineer. So just learning this, the various outlets that, that, people or that, that, that people with STEM degrees go down is, has been interesting as well. Okay. And what would you say would be your like four core values? Four core values. Huh. I never thought about core values before, <laughs> let alone four of them. Let's see if I can come up with four. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, one, one of them I would say is, what's the, what's the word to describe this? Deliberation. So when it comes to me making decisions, 
I don't like to make them hastily. I like to think about them for, for a bit before I, before I pull the trigger on them. So that's really important to me. I'd say another one is, is harmony. So making sure that I, I really like conflict. I won't, I won't say conflict diverse situations, but situations in which any kind of conflict can be brought to a head and, mm -hmm. and, and, and not be kind of just being held over people's head, this whole conflict. I think that's a that's another value of mine. Okay. Let's see, another one would be probably responsibility. So when I say I'm going to do something, I make sure I do it. Even if after I said I would do it, I don't want to do it anymore. That doesn't matter. I already said I would, so then I need to do it. And then another one would be probably focus and being able to focus on a, a, a specific task and making sure that it's done to, you know, making sure that it gets done to its, its kind of its, uh, to, the, to the end of it and not, not half-assing things. Okay. And I was going to say, though, um, why didn't you include uh, creativity? Um, do, you, do, you not, do you not think uh, creativity is a core, a core value that's important to what you do? Or is it just like it falls probably lower on the totem pole? Uh, it wasn't first to mind, but yeah, let's make it a fifth. Creativity, why not? I mean, I did write a children's book after all. Yeah. So that's, that's certainly a sign of, of creativity for sure. Okay. And then uh, one of my last questions is, uh, how do you deal with failure? Me, uh, personally, the way I've dealt with it the uh, most recently is I've talked to like accountability ability partners to make sure that I don't do what I did before instead of like hitting myself down so hard though and trying to avoid it so how would how do you or what's your process for dealing with failure I look at failure as a learning experience mm -hmm. I think when you look at it from that lens it, it stops being a negative and then becomes a positive it, all of us are going to, to have instances where things don't work out as we planned. And I suppose you could wallow in self-pity if you want, but you could also just look at it as a lessons learned, just a, an opportunity to, to learn something and just make sure you don't make that same, you don't make that same mistake again. Okay. And then one of my last questions to you would be is what uh, lasting advice would you have for me and my audience? Uh, as far as uh, either pursuing what you're doing or uh, doing something else that's similar? Well, it's get started. I mean, you could read all the books. You can interview all the people you want. You can watch all, or listen to all the podcasts you want. But nothing ever is going to happen until you actually start doing it. And it's not going to be the prettiest at first, but that's okay because it's not a failure. It's a, it's an opportunity for learning and you get to get better with time. So I guess my advice would be start. Okay. And uh, Mr. Neal, uh, is there any questions that you have for me? Uh, I'm, I'm a bioengineering uh, junior at Oakland University in the state of Michigan currently. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. What, what was the reason you decided to, to pick bioengineering? 
Uh, I decided to pick bioengineering uh, after doing an externship my junior year of high school. Um, I was at the DMC hospital in Detroit uh, and I was shadowing a bariatric surgeon. And at that time, I was kind of hell-bent on pursuing uh, becoming uh, a surgeon. But it wasn't until he took me into the surgery room and also after shadowing like a lot of other doctors that I realized I didn't really want to be a surgeon anymore uh, due to all the work involved with it and just a lot of meetings and a lot of uh, computer work. I don't know. I just personally wasn't really feeling it. But then he showed me this machine called the Da Vinci. And I became very much enamored with using it that, you know, I had to be told uh, to get up from it after he put me into a simulation because I loved the intricacies of how it worked and the things that were put together to make like the arms move to assist surgeons in their surgery. So I said to myself, I went home and I looked up like, what's um, a medical position that involves engineering? Because I didn't know bioengineering existed at the time. And then I found bioengineering. And then that's kind of what led me to pursue it. Wonderful. At least you didn't pick bioengineering because your father told you to. No. <laughs> nope. I've never been that kind of person. I always do things that I'm interested in. It's my number one thing. So it's a good thing you got that lesson earlier than I did. Kudos to you. Yep. Thank you. What do you what do you plan on doing once you finish your degree? Once I finish my degree, I am planning to get my master's degree somewhere. I'm still doing research on where that's going to be, but that's like my short term plan. And then later on after that though, I want to start my own business practice in bioengineering. Wonderful. Well I wish you I wish you all the luck in your endeavors, Greg. I'm sure that you'll be nothing but successful. Thank you. And the same to you with the future of your Teach the Geek company. Uh, I do hope to be one of the people you interview down the line when I get uh, more into my career. And I also want to thank you for spending time with us on uh, Greg Talks today, for sharing your knowledge and continuing to do what you do best, which is inspire others to follow their dreams. And Wonderful. with that, I hope you have a good day, Mr. Neil. And for anybody that's interested in uh, learning more about Teach the Geek, I'm going to put all of Mr. Neil's information in the description below of this video. And if you want to find more out about me or engage with me more, you can press that subscribe button down below. You can comment to engage with us, or you can follow me at Greg Talks on Instagram. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Thank you.